Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by a very special guest, Danny Flood. And Danny is the author of five best-selling books, including Buy Your Own Island, Hack Sleep, and Hack Email. He's a solopreneur and podcast host who works with many of the top entrepreneurs and coaches in the world. I've asked him to join us today and share some of his insights on life hacking and being a lifestyle entrepreneur. So, Danny, thank you for joining us, my friend. How are you doing? Hey, Daryl. Hello from Bangkok. It's great to be on the show finally. We've been uh, talking about this for a while. So. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I appreciate you putting some time in your schedule. So, um, yeah, and Thailand's definitely a great place to be if you're a lifestyle entrepreneur. I spent a month there, and it was fantastic. So, um, yeah, hats off to you. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, I want- that's great, I wanted to ask, though, how did you even get started? So now, obviously, you travel internationally. You you know you stay somewhere for a while if you want and travel as you please. You work online. But was life always this way? Were you always working online? Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? How did you even get going? Um, yeah, so I mean, I kind of just arrived when I'm out just today through a bunch of blood, sweat, and tears. Um, you know, there was no shortcut for sure. <laughs> I've been uh, I've been pretty much a nomad since 2009, um, but it just kind of started out small. Like I did uh, small trips, you know, kind of like mini retirements. Uh, I went I went down to Mexico. Like I used to surf in Mexico a lot, so I went down and lived there for about almost two months. Um, everything went fine, and um, then I booked a through a one way ticket for three months to South America. Um, and every time it just gets longer and longer. So now I'm a permanent traveler. I've been on the road. Uh, two years full-time now. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, like I said, I mean, it wasn't easy. I just have to do things. Uh, you know, there's a saying that life keeps teaching you a lesson until you learn it. Right. So I kept doing things the wrong way until uh, I figured things out. And uh, I, I put everything I learned into this first book, my book, uh, Buy Your Own Island, which is kind of like what I wish I had. It's like a playbook that I wish I had in the beginning. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, a big part of it is how to set up a location-independent business, like um, a business that gives you freedom instead of um, mm. tethering you to a, a job that you can't quit. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, very, very true. Got it. So no no family background of entrepreneurship, no nothing. You just kind of threw yourself into it. Yeah, I've got family background. Um, my father was an entrepreneur. So oh, okay. uh, yeah, he started two companies, uh, Odyssey Golf and Aldola Golf. So Aldola is the, uh, the graphite golf shafts. Uh, he created the graphic golf shaft and um, Odyssey Putters. So those are really popular putter brands. Um, he created those two businesses, and uh, he brought me up as an entrepreneur. So ever since I was like seven years old, I was, I was going around knocking on our neighbors' doors, offering to take out the trash for them. That's development. And uh, by the time I was ten, I think we were making those, those things called pugs. They're like this game that yep. we used to play. Uh, so we, we would make those and we'd try to sell them, try to hustle them. Uh, never made much money, but uh, just kind of learned, you know. <laughs> right, 
Right, right, right. Gotta go right, through a succession right. of uh, business failures before you you have a successful one. So. <laughs> That's awesome. That's super awesome. That's wild. So your dad got you into it, which is great. That really got you started. So do you feel that you've come through any milestones then in your progression in your career as a entrepreneur? Like in the beginning, like you said, you you, you know, it was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Um, like, were there stages that you had to progress through and things that you figured out? Um, yeah, there's a lot of things I figured out. I mean, in the beginning, I had a lot of um, baggage, I guess, uh, internally. So, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I, the first part of my book is all about, like, the inner game, uh, Byron Islands, and um, just, like, secret excuses, you know, abstract fears. Um, my goals weren't very well defined. They weren't smart goals. Um, you know, like, I just had this kind of abstract vision of what I wanted, but I felt like I was just spinning the wheels. I wasn't getting anywhere. And um, today, like, I'm, I'm very specific. I, I like to break things down, reconstruct, reverse engineer from the result that I want to, to get where I want to go. And, um, you know, several years later, I've, I've traveled to over 30 countries. I've started uh, several startups. And, um, yeah, man, I, I mean, I just I love this lifestyle because I love being an entrepreneur because the more I put into it, the more I get out of it. And, you know, I, I can write my own paycheck, basically. And I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Right. Yeah. I couldn't imagine working for anyone else either, especially after you get the taste of the freedom of being an entrepreneur and traveling around. That's awesome. I've tried to work at jobs before, but I never lasted more than a month. So I just, I was like, you know, it's just not for me. And there was, there was a couple of times when I really wanted something, you know, secure. Um, I'm like, you know, I'm tired of all this uncertainty. Like I I was hopping around countries and I was like living in the jungle in uh, Borneo. (laughs) Most most of my money ran out. You know, I was I was trying to do this new business and uh, I spent all my money after like six months. And I was like, all right, I'll just get a job. You know, it's a, it's a six month seasonal job, and um, it was terrible. And I got fired after a month. So I was like, all right, my destiny is to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually how a lot of entrepreneurs get started. We're we're unemployable, or we just don't yeah fit well into those molds. So, what was like the single biggest challenge for you? Do you feel in your business career as an entrepreneur? Was it just trying to get yourself organized? Was it finding a product market match that worked? Scaling up, building the team. What for you kind of do you feel has been the biggest struggle that you've had as an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's a good point. Um, that's a good thing. Good question. There's been a, d- a number of challenges for sure, but um, one thing I'm still trying to figure out and do better is scaling up, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I, I don't know, I'm kind of divided on it because I don't really know if I want to create a huge company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like when I created a life, I had an agency and I was able to um, get it to where I was only working 10 hours a week. And I was making enough, you know, I wasn't making a, sh- uh, a ton of money, but um, I was able to travel, do everything I wanted. I, I never was hurting for money. Um, I only work in two hours a day, so I call that like a lifestyle business. Um, but I'm I'm kind of divided about whether I would want to um, have like a really big business and have to manage it, or whether I want just like something that works smart, works hard, and is very efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know some people like you've interviewed James Shramko, like he says you can have both. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's something I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> Let me know. Let me know your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think it's true. I think, I mean, it's it depends. It's funny, uh, uh, you know, it depends on the value that you create and then the models. So, uh, I mean, if you if you sincerely ask my opinion, it, you know, I see some people peg themselves. Actually, I've seen this a lot, even with friends of mine, where they think they're going to build this business and they're going to do all this great stuff, but it's like they're selling their hours, you know. And then it's like, well, what are your income goals? Okay, and blank units times blank price equals your income goal let's say a million dollars so it's a thousand units at a thousand dollars or two thousand units at five hundred dollars or five hundred units at two thousand dollars you know and we start talking to them and then they find out that the arithmetic the basic fundamental math won't like has a, has a cap on it because there's not enough hours in the day, you know, and like, you know, and even though that some of these people, um, and, and this isn't to speak to you at all, because I mean, you're totally set, but some of these people, they have kind of like a lifestyle business, but they're still chained to the dollar per hour, you know, trap, so to speak. So, um, 
you know, at the end of the day, if you've got a, a process you can leverage or a team you can hire, try, it's, you know, it's having a sales process. Aaron Ross, I think the author of Predictable in, uh, Revenue said it best. You have to have a sales and marketing system that can take strangers, complete strangers, and get to know and get them to know you well enough that they'll buy from you. And that's really where a lot of it is. And, you know, um, I mean, you have a podcast, you've interviewed tons of people, but one of the things just in my careers and having done, you know, small $10,000 launches and building automated funnels that have done millions and millions of dollars is uh, being able, one, to get paid media to work. That's a huge, huge one because you can't scale a JV. Like, you know, the, you know, there's only three ways to get traffic, buy it, borrow it, or build it. You know, in this podcast that I've got and the podcast you got, we're building a following. We're building traffic. If I were to tell someone listening to this to go check something out, odds are good that a, a good percentage of them would. Um, because of the relationship that I built with them, but that's not scalable because I can't go get another thousand podcast fans just like snapping my fingers, you know, and same thing with content marketing. You know, there's this whole big buzz on inbound marketing, but you can't, you can't publish and hit like, and get ranked in Google. Like so fat, like you just can't do that. But if you've got a process that, you know, that if I spend money to just put this in front of people that if this, you know what I mean? Like in my, my click through rates are in this range, then all of a sudden, like you can literally go, we would like 300 leads today and go out and just buy them and boom, there you go and scale it. And that's, that's something that you see any company. And I think that's what James is talking about in the sense where, you know, he's got it really good down where he's got a process where, um, you know, you can use JVs, which is boring it, but he's got a process of JVs and paid traffic that allows him to, to fill, you know, I think a lot of it is his podcast following, um, or yeah. Yeah, Well, you brought up a couple of points there. I mean, um, one, obviously you need to be very specific about what your goals are. And a lot of people I talk to, you know, they didn't say I want a profitable business or I want a viable business. That's my only goal. Yeah. Or I want to go to the gym because I want to get fit, and that's you know you're not going to make any progress. You're not yeah. even measuring your progress. But yeah. the other thing that the other thing that um, the James Sham coach calls it the, your black box advantage. Okay. Um, so each company should have this black box advantage where it's it could be like a piece of software, it could be a process. Um, it's basically your competitive advantage that um, is going to get you ahead of all the other people out there. And so in your case, I mean, I think it starts with really identifying your strengths as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're obviously very good at, um, you know, creating marketing systems. You know, that's what your your, mm-hmm. your forte is. Um, so I think if, if an entrepreneur, if you can identify what your strengths are and really milk that to its fullest potential, or excuse me, really use that to its fullest potential, um, then I think you can you can really do fun things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely, 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 definitely. And at the end of the day, you know, I think it's important, like you kind of said before, you talked about like, you know, he said you can have both, but does everybody want both? Not everybody wants both. Because when you do have, and depending on the industry you're in, um, I mean, even look at Elon Musk, you know, he can't really go a lot of places, you know, and do stuff. Uh, there's a lot of guys, we've had Ryan Levesque on our show, you know, he's a bit of a celebrity as well. And that, that comes with the, this blessing and a curse, you know, in disguise, uh, in some ways, sometimes it's nice to be unknown and have this little thing going on that no one really knows about that makes money. I know one of my mentors told me, you know, when you're making good money in a mit in a niche, I actually have a client that I helped, uh, build a camp, a funnel for that she's doing, she went from 20 grand a month to a hundred thousand a month to 600 thousand uh in a month and uh she doesn't want like i can't get a testimonial because she doesn't want anyone to know what niche she's in like it's it's that simple because you know if you're making money in niche like just shut up because if you start telling everybody about how great it is and all the money you're making guess what you're going to get a bunch of copycats and we're kind of seeing that you know with a lot of these other people and even ryan there's a lot of ask funnel survey i mean surveys have been around forever so it's not like ryan owns it but you know he's got his own thing and now there's a lot of copycats that are coming from it so it's a catch-22 and i think at the end of the day it depends on like what kind of customers do you want to have um i don't think it's realistic to think that you'll have a business where you never interact with your customers i don't i don't necessarily i mean (laughs) some people maybe have that but i think you know it's people a company is a all company is a group of people working together to achieve a common goal and usually that common goal is to deliver a product or a service to a particular group of people suffering from a particular problem. So it's all people. Like, it's all people. And so um, in some ways, I, you know, yeah, there exactly. might be... I think, I think that's, that's what I was going to bring up to you is that, um, you know, people can try to copy you, but um, they can't be you. Yeah. You know, and if, if you're able to be indispensable, because if, if, all businesses grow as a result of conversations. Yeah. So, you know, when I'm starting a new, I'm, I'm starting a new uh, MVP or a new startup, 
um, a new service-based business. Um, I'm just booking as many appointments as I can, having as many conversations as I possibly can with uh, people who are experts at it, people mm. who could be prospects, people who are leads. Mm. I want to talk to my clients. And I just, you really need to have a system in place to be communicating with them constantly yep. in some form, whether it's you calling them directly, whether it's you having a newsletter that's really engaging them. Yep. Um, because, you know, like, like you said, people can copy your business model, but they can't copy you. So yep. as long as you're building those relationships, you're having those conversations, um, there's no way anyone can, can replace that. Yep. Or yep. They can substitute, but you can't have any substitute for that. Yep. In fact, that's actually, uh, I just finished reading Ray Kroc's biography uh, yesterday and uh, the founder of, well, not the founder, but I guess the, the catalyst behind McDonald's. And uh, that's what he'd said. You know, he knew that copycats were going to be along anytime, but they couldn't innovate. So he always planned to be a week and a half at least ahead of them, you know, and that was their essentially their motto. And same thing with uh, Sam Walton from Walmart. Uh, just the same Walton, Wilson, Walton, Walton, I think, uh, from Walmart reading about them. I mean, they used to just go and they used to go and check out what all their competitors were doing, make a checklist of all the good things that they did that Walmart wasn't doing. And and they had a weekly meeting. They literally had a weekly meeting where they would discuss all the great things they saw their competitors doing. And they'd go, okay, we're going to do this, this, this. And the regional managers would call all their stores. And they had a thing where, you know, they would have their meeting on Friday morning. And by Saturday, all the stores would have it implemented. And they wanted to, you know, the whole company motto was to get rid of uh, the, well, let's think about it because all that thinking happened at the top and it was all about execution because it's a fast moving world and they just wanted to stay a step ahead of everyone so i think there's value in that and what you said so and i mean it, yeah you know, that's a great point that um you know you steal like an artist basically and um you can take something from another niche or in a completely different industry and apply it to your own yes um so, so i do that often you know like if i want to uh borrow an idea for um an advertisement or something for example and there was actually a story i read about um this famous art director uh, in New York. This was like 60 years ago, and you know he won all these awards and stuff. And this one guy went in, in was interning for him, or he was doing the copywriting for him. And um, and he he you know was like, all right, we need to work on this ad. And he would go through a stack of magazines. And he's like, boom, we'll just take this layout, we'll apply it to the ad. And he's like, well, wasn't that stealing? And he's like, look, this is everything we want here. It's going to look out, per- it's going to turn out perfect. So he applied the layout from the magazine to the advertisement. And boom, you know, it looked it looked amazing. Yep. Yeah. I, so. the, yeah. It's a, <laughs> you know, it's a weird thing because in school, it's funny because um, who Dell, Michael Dell. Again, I was I've been reading a lot of bios lately. He was like, you know, in my high school they never taught a course on how to run a three billion dollar company. Um, you know, and so they they used to bring consultants and borrow ideas from other people. And I think it's funny that you mentioned that because obviously none of us want to have our stuff copied or stolen. And in school, they're really cracking down on plagiarism. But when you go and sign up at McDonald's, what are you paying? Like you pay a couple million dollars and they go, hey, here's a copy of our operations manual. And here's a copy of all of our marketing material. And here's a copy of like the daily itinerary of what our t- best managers do. And here's a copy of all of our training resources. And so in a lot of ways, copying does, you know, was it the pioneers get the arrows, the settlers get the land. And, you know, you don't want to outright just plagiarize someone, but I think that's a great thing that you brought up by taking an example from one industry and, and bringing it somewhere else. I mean, that's just, it's, it's revolutionized industries over and over and over again. You can take simple concepts that are, one group of people are doing and just apply it to another group of people for a different purpose. Um, yeah, and there's another there's another important lesson here that people need to understand is that um, you're starting with your end goal in mind, you know what you want to create, uh-huh. and and then you're, you're you're that's where your starting point is. You're not starting from a blank piece of paper. Uh-huh. And the thing is, most people when they have goals, they start with a blank piece of paper, and it's far more successful to reverse engineer to model success, and then say that where where are the three steps I need to do, or what do I need, exactly need to do to make it make get this in the shortest amount of time possible. Yeah. And um, Josh Whiteskin, he wrote the book The Art of Learning. Um, and it's about Bobby Fischer and um, the way he learned how to play chess as a child prodigy was um, he was taught how to checkmate the king first. You know, so the, the whole objective of chess is to checkmate the king. But the way most people learn is that they, they learn the opening moves. You know, they learn what the pawn does. They learn how to move their, their knights. They learn how to move the bishop. Uh, but then they don't become better players. And then they, they learn the opening moves. You know, they network. They play against other rookies. And that's a really long way to improve. But if you can start with the end and learn how to checkmate and then find like the best people you know, the best players you know, and then go up head to head against them. And, you know, you can 
rise so much faster that way. Mm. And there's another great example of this is uh, David Heinemeyer Hansen. Mm -hmm. He started the company uh, Basecamp and uh, 37, 37 Signals, I want to say, yeah. Yep. Um, he's actually a professional NASCAR driver too. He started when he was in his 30s. <laughs> and, um, you know, he started in the junior leagues and he would just do good enough to qualify. You know, he wasn't winning and then he'd move up to the next league. And he did this up and up and up, you know, always bumping up in league. And then finally he was competing with the best. And then he went back to his, like a year later, he went back to his local circuits and he crushed the competition. It wasn't even close. <laughs> That's so, so awesome. There's a really important lesson here is that, you know, starting with a successful model, learn how you can get that in the shortest amount of time possible. Find the best people you know and, and become friends with them. And um, I forgot the last point but, but yeah <laughs> yeah but no i i wanted to talk about that because first of all just i was looking for an example and dell i already mentioned it was a great example he took henry ford's assembly line process and applied it to computers and that was an example of taking and copying just verbatim copying something someone else had done and car car manufacturers doing it left right and center but applying it to a new industry and then dominating that industry so that was an example but the other thing that you were talking about that i thought was really powerful is modeling and i think modeling is something i mean that's that's it's not the only reason why I do this podcast, but it's a big part of why I do this podcast because um, personally myself, I'm an ambitious person and I want to know, like, I, you know, I want the shortcuts. I don't necessarily want it to be easy, but I don't want to waste time on things that are inefficient or ineffective. And one of the things that Tony Robbins, when he first got started, he was a, he, you know, he, a lot of people call him a motivational speaker. He says he's, a, you know, he's an expert in human performance. And he, one of his earliest uh, uh, projects was working with the military on helping improve the skill of their marksmen, of their snipers. And so what they did is they found out who the best marksmen were, and they studied them and analyzed them and found the most co and the lowest common denominators between all the top marksmen, and then they modeled that into a training program and then they put all the other marksmen through it and everybody's scores went up and that became the de facto training that they used then and forward and it just pushed the level forward and it was just you know and even a buddy of mine we've done an interview with him it's another interview great interview Dan Fagella you know he built a membership site from zero to 75,000 now they're almost at 250,000 a month uh, it's a membership site and it just unlocks and every month hey here's your next month's content hey here it's not like a magazine where they gotta meet a deadline and send it out and new people and old people are getting the same stuff you know the new people they're all starting at the very beginning and the old people if they're still going you know he's just keeping up with that small group um and everyone else is kind of following along and um you know when we were talking i just had a brain fart oh we used to call it the lamborghini the the lamborghini test you know <laughs> that what you used to do is you know you take a look at all the competitors in your market you know you're, okay i'm looking to get in this in this market who are my top competitors? Boom. Let's put them all on, out, out on the table. And then let's remove anybody who couldn't realistically walk onto the car lot and buy a Lamborghini that day and be able to afford the payments. And that will get rid of 99% of the competitors. 90, 90%. Okay. And then you take a look at who's left and what are they doing and then model their success. And, you know, and there's something to be said for experience and time and relationship and, you know, and an audience. It's hard to, it's hard to steal someone's audience. Um, you know, if someone's been in the game for 30 years and they've built this massive following or they've got this huge, you know, big name, people know, like, and trust that name and they're going to be, you know, newcomers going to have to fight to get into it. But you can yeah. really shorten your learning cycles if you just follow what worked, you know, so... What? It's called standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you can't you can't become the giant it's himself, but you can stand on his shoulders and build on top of what he's created. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what's happened with you know like David Heinemeyer Hansen. He created Ruby on Rails, which is kind of like a simplified version of you know C plus mm plus -hmm. and other other older coding languages that uh, existed before. So each programmer would come and they would build on top of the other person's other programmer's effort and able to create more elegant hierarchies mm. uh, as a result. Mm, 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 mm. And that's, that's really the game, is the name of the game, because as entrepreneurs, you know, we truly, in this age and in the century going forward, we live in a meritocracy. You know, everyone is going to advance. Like, how well you do is completely based on your own merit. And mm. how well you're able to stand on the shoulder of giants and create even more than anyone has done before. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a favorite quote of mine. Um, Every morning in Africa... A gazelle wakes up and it knows it must outrun the fastest lion or it will be killed. Every morning in Africa, 
a lion wakes up and it knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle or it will starve to death. And the moral of the story is it doesn't matter if you're a lion or you're a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better be running. And I think that kind of just speaks to what you just said there. And I love that quote so much. Um, I really do. Because we don't even know what's coming. Like, that's the thing. You know, Ray Kurzweil, if nobody knows him, he is, well, he's a futurist. And he was an inventor. He invented the scanner that we use to scan photos and papers and stuff. And he tried to invent a bunch of different things. And a lot of the stuff he invented, by the time it came out, was obsolete. It was already outdated, and he would be frustrated. Obviously, he's trying to feed his family, you know, he's trying to make a living, and all this stuff, he spends all this time built, like making it and getting patents, and then it's, it's no good. So he was like, how can I be where the puck is going to be? How can I go and be where things are going? And he started looking at technology advancing and at the, <clears throat> and the data, and he noticed a trend that it was growing exponentially, that it was doubling and then doubling and then doubling and that doubling, and that nothing had curbed this growth trend in technology, that it didn't matter about politics, it didn't matter about war or disease, that this technology would be doubling and doubling and doubling. And so he made a bunch of predictions, and I think this was in the 1980s, and he made a bunch of predictions up until present day. And he's had an 86% accuracy rate. Even his critics have to give him, I think it's at least 78 percent of his predictions as accurate and so now he's predicted a whole host of new things and everyone's going crazy and there's something called the singularity university where he's partnered up with peter i'm going to butcher his last name peter diamantis diamantis uh, the guy behind the x prize and there's all this stuff coming through the pipeline that you know like it's hard for us to understand like Technology is doubling. Like where we're at right now will be doubled. Like in five, ten years, we will have doubled our computer processing capacity. The technology, the you know, like the parts are getting smaller. They're getting faster. We actually have quantum computers now. Like the fact that we even have quantum computers, a Canadian company has built it. They sold it to Google, and I think they sold three to a couple of billionaires. Like the fact that we can actually create a quantum computer is phenomenal. Like that is millions and millions and millions of times faster than the average computer. And in 10, 15 years, that technology will be available to everybody. And it's hard for us to all be able to predict how it's going to affect any of us. But I love what you say because it's about your merit. It's about what you're putting into it. It's about what are you trying to do? Who are you trying to help? What are you trying to accomplish? And I just think that, like you said, a meritocracy, I've never heard that before, but I like that because it speaks to like the quote I said. It's, you know, it's not even about where you are now. Even if you took... A lot of our guests, probably yourself included, if I took you and I threw you into a strange country... You know what I mean? Give you just a little bit of money to get by. In six months to a year, you would be backing up and running again with some sort of business because of the skills you've developed. And I think that that kind of goes back to the you know the meritocracy that you talked about. Where it, it gonna, wouldn't take me six months, <laughs> right? But that's exactly it. That's exactly it because of the skill you developed. It's this. It's like it's a love of the grind and embracing the grind and like understanding this is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is what I want and need to be happy. And this is what my day to day life should look like. And just living it, you know. And you'll have ups and downs and good days and bad days. But as long as you, you know, keep your eye on the prize and begin with the end in mind, which is whether what kind of, you know, what kind of business you want to have, what kind of customers you want to have, you know, where you want to be in your deathbed. Um, I think that that's just a really great uh, philosophy to have. And I think that, uh, well, thank you for yeah, you that. Yeah, you mentioned the deathbed. I mean, that's, well, okay, well, you mentioned a lot of things, but. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I went on a tangent there. It's there's your interview, and I kind of stole it. My apologies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. There, there, I mean, there's a bunch of different things you can touch on. Um, you know, one one person said the best way to predict the future is to create it. Yeah. I, I don't know who the source of that is because there's several sources for that quote. But <laughs> you mentioned uh, the deathbed, and um, you know, thinking about death is one of the most powerful ways to really engage your life. Yes. And um, you know, people have, who have visited Bhutan, um, they say that you know the Bhutanese are the happiest people on earth, and uh, the secret is that they encounter death frequently. You know, they do these uh, sky burials where they'll put a body, they'll put a body of a loved one on a hill or something like this, and the condors, the vultures will come and tear it to shreds. You know, there was there was your mother, and suddenly she's being torn up shreds by these vultures. And you know, even when I was in India uh, a couple months ago, like I would just see like a, a dead body on the street, and they're giving like they're shaving this dead body, and there's all these people around and. This is something you don't usually see every day. No. The point is that was like living in a first world country, like living in like Canada or the U.S., someplace in Europe, 
um, you don't have any face-to-face encounter with death or you don't really think about death too often. And, you know, if if you did, you'd probably live your life a lot differently. And, um, you know, even I got to like remind myself of it because it's like it just kind of makes all of my concerns kind of melt away, I guess, any all my little insecurities. I mean, even just like a few hours ago, I was at the dentist and um, I just hate the feeling of, you know, being in a chair. I got something stuck in my mouth. I feel like I have no control. And I'm just hearing like this beeping noise, you know, somewhere like beep, beep, beep. And I'm just imagining like this is what it's going to be like at the end of my life. You know, I, better, I better get busy now because I'm going to be laying in a bed somewhere completely helpless hearing this beeping noise. Yep. And that terrifies me. That, you know, that shocks me into action. You know, uh, I, I have another um, – it's not a quote, but I saw this. I actually saw it. My dad had cut it out of a newspaper. And I really value that. Like in the first world country, we live in a very sheltered – like fake world it's just very fake like 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 what you said you know i remember when i was in africa i remember that watching the news it was like watching the blair witch like dude like has his camcorder there'd been some gang shooting or something outside of kenya i spent like nine weeks in africa four weeks in kenya five weeks in uganda and in kenya there'd been this shooting like some gang leader had been shot and people thought the cops might have done it and the news footage was like literally like this dude's camera like camcorder recording record while the like the the like the 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 van I want the station not station wagon anyways like the minivan the minivan like pulls up to this car that's drove off the road into a ditch and the door opens and you see the guy like walk over to the car and he's just walking around it and this dude his head the driver's head is hanging out the window with like his brains hanging out and they're splattered on the windshield and the guy beside him is dead like that was the news like news was like hey we're on the scene and you know like whoa it's kind of smelly and that's definitely some flies in his brain and looks like the driver the passenger shot like that was the news that was the new you would never see that in north america ever you would never see that like just camera crew just walking over like looking at the scene like we're so sheltered so protected but i think it's almost like with kids they say you should treat your kids like adults other if you want them to act like adults treat them like an adult anyways um so i think what you brought up is really important and we're talking about the end in mind and my father had cut my father had cut out this thing out of a newspaper and i i this is back maybe two years ago, I posted on Facebook and I had like 70 friends and I got shared almost a thousand times. And it was the top regrets of the dying. And this is a short list that a nurse, Bonnie Ware, put together after years working in palliative care. So when people are on their deathbed and she came up with these five things. So the one first one was, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. The next one was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Next one was, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Next was, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And the last was, I wish that I had let myself be happier. And I think all that speaks to the stuff that we're talking about today, about, you know, building a lifestyle business, about having customers that you want to deal with, about not necessarily being focused on having some big monstrous business instead on trying to focus on who you want to serve, what kind of people you want to be around, how your day-to-day life should look, um, and just being you, you know, and and just if that means traveling, then travel. If it means, you know, like, just, just being authentic and letting yourself be yourself. Like, you talked about you had some jobs and it's just you weren't happy, so you let yourself be happier. So I just think that that's a really great topic. And I think that there's a ton of value in that. Um, yeah. And I think, um, I don't want to be kind of contradictory here too, because you mentioned, uh, you know, what people see on the news, uh, like Western news. I mean, we, we do kind of sensationalize things like we, and we always hear stories like tragedy, I think yep. like shootings or terror attacks. And, and that kind of puts us into like a state of where Fear, the world is yeah. a fearful place. Yeah. So when I, when I say talk about death, I mean, don't like be depressed about it. Like yeah. I don't pay any attention to the news, you know, at all. I, I don't read the news. I don't watch it. The only, the only time I hear anything about the news is when people spam my news feed about the British exit <laughs> or something like this. Right. Brexit. Um, so I want to, I want to be clear here that it's not just about, um, you know, saying, Oh, the world is a dangerous place. People are getting killed. Um, you know, there's a head hanging out of the car. Um, the guy's brains are coming up, but, but really just, just coming to grips with your own mortality and letting that sink in and, and realizing that, um, how important the present moment is and just that you shouldn't waste time. Because when I think about this, when I meditate on this, suddenly I have no desire to eat junk food. Suddenly I have no desire to waste time doing something that makes me happy. Suddenly I feel a need to really appreciate people in my life 
to really appreciate everything that every little blessing, even if I don't notice it, because when you come to grips with your own mortality that way, um, you really just value your life 10 times more. Yeah. 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 It's not about gloom and doom by any means, you know, uh, <laughs> Nature abhors a vacuum. There's a great philosopher, Alan Watts. I, I love Alan. If any, nobody here knows him, I had, yeah. I think the first time I mentioned him was an interview I did with Neil Patel. Um, and apparently Neil listens to him as well, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, and this guy used to be a priest. He was a Catholic priest and he traveled the world and studied the world's religions. And this is long before the internet. So he actually had to go to the places and read the books and learn the languages and meet the people. And just the stuff that comes out of his mouth is some phenomenal stuff. And just, you know, like it's just everyone's really afraid of death, but there's nothing like, but you're dead. Like, so what, what are you afraid of? You know, and just live. And, um, you know, his thing is that, you know, the purpose of life is just to live, but everyone's in a hurry uh, scurrying about as if there's something more to accomplish other than just being yourselves. And I think that we've built a big society here. And this is, you know, and this is coming from uh, at least in my experience, you know, speaking three languages, having traveled the world, having helped make millions of dollars, having been broke most of my life before that, um, you know, like literally like hitchhiking across Canada because I couldn't afford the bus you know, stuff like that. And I just really think that there's a lot of truth to that because it, you know, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, it's, it's just, you know, like why bother? I mean, there's so many, there's two things that, that leads to one is a philosophy of no days off because when I look outside, you see the birds and the squirrels, squirrels never like, you know what? I've worked so hard this week. I'm just going to lay around in my nest today and, uh, you know, I'm not going to worry about eating. And if any predators come up, I'm going to just say, hey, why don't you just bugger off? It's my day off. Like that's these, the whole concept of days off is a human construct because we're so advanced ahead of everybody. So every animal, other animal on the planet is on their grind all day, every day. And every day they're doing all their favorite stuff except for when something's trying to eat them alive. You know, that's basically how it goes. Um, and I think that humans should do that. So that's one part. But the other part is, is that's it. Like that's, that's it. You know, there's not a lot of pressure on any other creature on the planet to do anything other than just to like wake up tomorrow. And I think humans can forget about that, worry about our bills and am I raising my kids right and all this stuff. Like just just live your life and just make sure that, you know, it's a worthy one, that, that it's one that you'd like to repeat. Um, you know, I think that there's – yeah, this has become a, quite a bit of a philosophical conversation. But I think there's really good value in that because like you talked at the beginning, people start business often and, and it, they've, they've failed at the very first – uh, at the very first step because they, they don't have a target market. They don't know what they want to do for people. They just like, it's about money, right? I want, I want this. I want that. I want, yeah. you know, and you can do that, but you have to do it through helping and serving others. I want to be yeah. surrounded by these type of people, helping them solve this type of problem because I want to make this much money and have this kind of house, this kind of car. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I see these uh, questions pop up all the time, especially in like uh, digital nomad forums online. Mm. Because uh, I'm in a bunch of these, because it's my target market, and um, you know, people are just saying like, "Oh, these are the skills I have. What can I do to uh, support myself?" They're always. So I just tell them, you know, you know, that's not the way to go about it. You have to to find find a need. You got to find a starving crowd, and you have to give them value. You got to find what you can give them. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the secret to success, and it it really is about giving value, and it's it's not just giving value. But you have to be smart about it too, um, because you can't work with everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you're going to do a service business, you should do a productized service with a narrow focus because you're going to get clients and they're going to say, oh, but I need to do PPC, I need to do a website, I need to do this. So suddenly you're wearing like 100 different hats and you're just being this, their whipping boy. Yeah. Um, so if you're going to do a service-based business, be very narrow in your focus. Um, you need to like qualify for the right prospects, um, but you do need to give a lot of value. You need to give a lot of value so that you keep to the right people and you need to keep people in your debt so that. Um, you can write your own paycheck, and if, as long as you become indispensable, then you never have to worry about you know running out of money. Yeah, yeah, I love what you just said there about if you're going to be in a service business to make it a sort of product. And I think this is a really valuable business point here that would benefit everybody on the call, no matter where you're at, because it's even good to remember. There's a great book called Built to Last, and in it, one of the big takeaways I got was having a standard service offering. And what that means is because exactly like you said, if you do a service, you know, you've got a couple of skilled people and you get clients that obviously because they're paying you and maybe they're awesome clients and they're fun to work with, they're like, hey, can you do this? Can 
you do that? And we call that vendor cre- or client creep. There's client creep and vendor creep, and that's when the initial agreement starts to grow, right? Whether it's your vendor starts trying to inflate your price, like recently my internet, the deal promo, eight months has expired, and now there's no way I can get what I had before without paying at least $20 more. Which doesn't, you know, makes you feel kind of some kind of way about it. But having a standard service offering, and this does a couple of things. One, it helps you market more effectively. You know exactly what you can do, how you're going to solve it. You can explain the whole process. It's really, really simple. The next most beneficial thing is it allows you to scale. So here's, uh, you know, and it's funny. I had a, a conversation with a buddy of mine. I'm going to interview him soon for the show. He used to manage a hundred million dollar company. And, you know, his whole thing is he doesn't actually want a big, long product line. He's like, I've built some very substantial sized businesses on just a handful of things. One piece of software, you know, it was like an $8 million company. Like one thing, like just these really key problem solving things. And the reason being is that if you've got the standard service offering that you can deliver to people, this thing you do, one, not only is it easier to find those people to explain what you can do for them and to, to do it as a group, like to bring on onboard more people because it's just a it's like a streamlined conversation you're not having like you mentioned you're not having a conversation about hey I'll do your SEO yeah I can do PPP pay per click too yeah I can kind of do copywriting yeah I can kind of do your social media like it's not that it's hey I do this boom it's a very straightforward conversation it's easier to have with more people at one time than just you know one or two and the next benefit uh, big benefit to that is that it allows you to train other people and maintain quality standards because if you know you're going to be baking apples pie all day every day it's easier it's i just I, yesterday i ran into a buddy i was walking my dog i ran into a buddy he's got a restaurant downtown he's got a, a cambodian restaurant and he's the cook and he was talking about how they were closed because you know he's got helpers in that but he's the only cook and it's because he does these different things all the time but he doesn't have his standard serving like and you want to be able to train other people to do it you have to be able to train other people to do it even if just for in the uh, off of chance that you get hit by a bus and you're in the hospital and you know obviously you got your medical bills and your life hasn't stopped and you need the money coming through even if you're making less you need someone that can cover for you and it's so much easier to train someone it's so much easier to maintain quality if you have a standard thing that you do this bread and butter thing we do going back to modeling like what uh, Tony Robbins did I mean if you're the best person that does in your company then identify what are the keys that you do create a training program out of it and roll it out to you know and and train some other people Hire a sales rep, you know, have a couple of people part time that can do that service offering for you with you and hire a sales rep or two. You don't necessarily need to be the person doing everything. What I love is when you look up entrepreneur, um, the definition uh, in the in, uh, in, a, in the dictionary, it says a person who organizes and operates a business or businesses. It doesn't say the person who answers the phone, mops the floor, takes the phone calls, does this, does that, takes special requests. It doesn't say any of that person who organizes and operates a business or businesses. You don't even have to be the one that does the work. You just have to be the one that brings the people together and keeps the team cohesive and and is out in the community finding the people willing to spend the dollars. I mean, anyone with a car could be a cab driver, but why does someone work for a cab company? Because they have the phone number people call when they have their wallets out to get driven somewhere. And that's the problem that anybody with their car, they don't like, where do, where do I find the person that's going to pay me to do that? And that's the real value. The real value is being the go-to person to get blank done. And that's having a standard service offering. Sorry, I know I went a long tangent there, but that's just, that's just such a, (laughs) it's such a common trip up. I see all the time and I've committed myself over and over and over. uh, And I'll probably look at myself (laughs) and listen to this interview in the future and be like, ah, I did it again. But yeah, would you that just? It's because you, you. There's so much you can add to this conversation too. I mean, yeah. it, it really comes from a place when I say that is it's because it's about assessing your leads. Because um, you know, for the last seven years, the, pretty much everyone I've worked with is are entrepreneurs. All my clients are entrepreneurs, but the word entrepreneur is thrown around so loosely these days that it can mean anything and everything. Right. <laughs> and so I really need to get a, a really good idea. I've, I've gotten good at assessing who I'm working with through initial conversation, and you know, one thing you need to consider is that a lot of entrepreneurs. They have a scarcity mindset, you know. So they're not the kind of people you want to work with. You need to work with people who have an abundance mindset, who um, have other people working for them, you know, who have made hires before, who have hired someone in their lifetime, because otherwise they're, they're going to be like, oh my god, I don't trust this guy, you know, and what's he going to do? Because um, then they have too much of their own inner issues to work out. Um, so this really comes from a place of when I say um, 
when I'm saying you know creating a narrow focus is because when I'm having all these conversations, when I'm in acquisition heavy mode for a new business, um, I'm having a lot of conversations with a lot of people, and a lot of them just aren't a good fit, you know. And I, I need to identify, I need to put my foot down when it's not a good fit, and say, look, I'm offering you a, a marketing service for social media or YouTube video, whatever. I'm not going to help you with your Facebook advertising, yeah. um, even even if they're offering you money, you know. Like it's yeah. just you just got to be focused on that, and you got to say, this is what I'm offering. Um, you know, the, the Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort, he says that it's a straight line uh, between where you start out with a prospect and where you want to end up. And you need to keep them on that line because the prospect's going to try to wave you around, you know, like I'll take you way off course and you need to bring it back on course. You need to keep it on a conversation like this is what they're going for the close. You know, you can be polite, you can give them time, you can answer their questions and be patient, but you can't let the conversation go out of bounds. And, um, some other things I want to add here too, like I, you know, you also need to be like a little bit nuanced about how you build out your business too, because we um, we were talking about only offering one service, but I, I want to think that uh, you know, there's a book called Flip Your Funnel by Joseph Jaffe, and um, I think the money is really made on retention, retaining customers. Yes. And there's a saying that you know you want to create new products to existing customers, not new customers for existing products. So. Mm. I think that you know you really need to, to factor in acquisition cost. Um, you know that's that's the most costly thing for an entrepreneur for any business, and getting full lifetime value. And then you also need to consider your price. And your price, you know, I, sometimes we price too low. Most of us price too low just because we don't have the right self esteem. But you know you're at, you've arrived at the right price when you get some price resistance from the prospect, but they buy it anyway. So those are some things to consider. That you know once you have you have a narrow focus, but you still want to create new products and then say, um, go back to your best customers because you've given them results. You have this relationship. Your customers can't come along. And, I mean, sorry, your competitors can't come along and take them. That's when you can create a lifestyle business, which is what I did when I was able to create these relationships that were so strong. They depended on me so much, and um, you know they needed me to do more work for them every single month. Mm, 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 mm. I really like that. Create new products for existing customers and get new customers for your existing products. I like that. Yeah, so it's just an important point to make because, you know, you can do a product or service, but if you're only doing like a one-off service, for example, um, then you need to get so many customers and you need to spend so much time. Um, But if you can get them in the door, really build those relationships, have as many conversations with them, show them how much you care, ask them, you know, Tyrion from Game of Thrones, he's he's brilliant. I don't know if you watch Game of Thrones, Daryl. But the reason he's so good is he asks everybody, tell me what you want. You know, that's all he says uh, he's like, let's make this easy. Tell me what you want. And then he gives it to them. Yeah. And if, if everyone just did that, you know, say, you know, tell me what your goals are and listen, they would do so much better. Yep. 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 No, I'm, I'm with you like a thousand percent on this one. Um, that's such a great, great, great point. I'm sorry, you got my head spinning in like seven different directions. So I'm, like, I'm down with that. I'm like, yeah, because, and that's and I, what I love about that is it really is in retention, and that's a great lesson for anyone that's listening to this too. Uh, you want to try and sell subscription services, ongoing services, as best as possible. Um, and some of that doesn't even have to be you that fulfills it. You can just be, you know, if you sell, like, say you install pools. Well, they maybe they need a patio, maybe they need a fence, maybe they need furniture, maybe they need some gardening and landscaping done. Those are all things that you can do to be a value to your customer and get a percent of the action because you've channeled that person as well. And what that does for you is it increases what's called your lifetime customer value, which means the the value of having a customer, which goes back to at the very beginning where I was talking about scale, you know, and tells you what you can afford to spend to acquire a new person because you know, the reality is, is for the majority of businesses out there every six years you'll have a brand new customer base um, even if it's like a gym membership or something like that they say on average every six years of course there's you know a few exceptions but generally speaking most people will have passed on and gone to do something else or try something else um, so that that back end is really where the money money is, and you know, and friends for a reason, yeah. friends for a season, and friends for life, and be their friend for life to help them solve their problems with X. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when I was doing my agency, I mean, I would go to my clients' uh, baseball games. You know, uh, I would go have lunch with them. I would do everything. I would I would do so much to build those relationships. And um, you know, a good example is like 
it's not just what you sell. It's the experience that your clients have when they're working with you. And then it suddenly becomes almost irrelevant what you sell. Mm -hmm. So an example is like um, Disney World or Disneyland, for example. You know, like Disneyland, you basically have to pay an admission fee so you can go in and shop at their stores. But they're able to like create so many such a unique experience when you go in there that suddenly it becomes irrelevant. You know, the money becomes irrelevant. Mm -hmm. um, it's just really about that customer experience. And, you know, you always got to think about things that you can do for your clients, um, especially for the right people. Keep them in your debt. Um, so, like, you know, you can set up introductions for your clients. You can uh, link them to blog posts that are really important for them, you know, for the business. Um, you know, just always doing things to help them. Even if you're just, like, you know, a PPC manager, for example, just keep in touch with them. You know, talk to them, like, Hell, three times a week, five times a week, whatever, and just always help them, you know. And then they're like, he's like, I can't, I can't live my life without this person. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Becoming invaluable and creating experiences for them. That's a really good. That's a really good way to put it too. Um, so now I want to ask you: Do you feel that you have any habits or rituals or routines that have helped you uh, in your path as on, like helped you be successful as an entrepreneur that have helped kind of keep the ship? afloat and things together while you've been traveling and on the move? Yeah, I think a routine is invaluable. I think um, all entrepreneurs need a routine because I think if you're an entrepreneur who's just like waking up every day and you're like, you know, what do I need to do today? Um, <laughs> you're never going to get ahead. You know, you're always going to be like forgetting to do stuff and you're always going to be reacting to things. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's one, it's really important to have an intention, you know, like and remind yourself constantly. Um, two, you need to book certain days in advance for certain things. And not like when you wake up in the morning. So you don't make your to-do list when you wake up in the morning. Um, so, for example, like I'll have, uh, you know, Mondays, I'll only focus on, you know, marketing-related activities, you know, sending emails, uh, promoting blog posts, um, things like this. Uh, only like marketing, um, you know, putting things on Pinterest. Uh, you know, Wednesdays, like I'll only focus on creating content, for example. Um, you know, Fridays, I'll do kind of like a review. Review my week. I'll review like the procedures of my business. So I'll say, you know, this is my Instagram uh, process, my Instagram mm -hmm. procedure. Mm -hmm. How can I make this better? Can I use this app to build relationships better? Can I change my content schedule? So I'll use Friday for review, for example. And then usually like Tuesdays and Thursdays are kind of like, you know, like more um, whatever I need to address, you know, at that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think like booking certain days in advance for certain things because I don't like to do several things all in one day. Um, you know, Richard Bandler says that your mind – doesn't get results it goes in directions so I, if I'm going in one direction if I'm like really focused on creating content I don't want to suddenly stop and then you know write 20 emails mm. um, I want to be like in a marketing mind I want to have wear that hat and do that all day Monday and then you know Wednesday I'm gonna focus only on content I'm not even gonna check my email um, and I can just get so much more done that way I like that Your mind if, if you're already driving a car you know 120 miles an hour you're not going to stop it, you know, and then suddenly go in the other direction. Um, it's really time-consuming. You're going to burn a lot of mental fuel that way. You need to be able to limit the decisions that you make each day. You need to save as much decision-making power as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Yes, because willpower is a finite resource, and they've already done a ton of studies in that. And that across the board, if they even propose to make someone have someone make even a small. Uh, conscious decision before doing some sort of problem-solving task or whatever that w the willpower has been diminished. If they try to have a succession where this person has to make four decisions and this person has to make three decisions, the person who only has three decisions makes better decisions and is more confident and stronger in their decisions than the person that's got to do four haphazard. So yeah, that's a great tip. I know a couple of buddies that they've got the exact same wardrobe. Like they just, they know what they're wearing every day, you know, yeah. because they just, they, it just eliminates that decision. I just wake up, put it on and I go and I don't have to decide. And then they reserve that and keep that gas in the tank. So I eat the same foods every day. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> and, it's, and incidentally that's, that's good for your metabolism too, because your metabolism can expect what you're putting into your stomach and it can break it down a lot faster. So it's actually better for your health that way to eat the same foods uh, 80% of the time. That's excellent. That's excellent. Danny, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? Um, well, I think we were going to talk a little bit about some of the hacks, like life hacks. Yes. Um, you mentioned in the beginning, uh, in the intro, you mentioned hack sleep and you mentioned hack email. Yep. Do you want to ask a question? Or yeah. Well, what, what, what can you tell us? Hack sleep, hack email. What, what kind of hacks? Like what, what's, how can we boost our 
our productivity? How can we boost our lives? How can we get more done with less time, energy, and effort? What's a good hack? Um, That's a good question. Um, Yeah, so I wrote this book, uh, Hack Sleep, because I just struggled with uh, sleep issues so much. And I think sleep is like the most important thing in my life because when I sleep well, um, everything is better. You know, I'm more productive, I'm happier, I can focus. Um, You know, if I don't sleep, my IQ level seems to have dropped uh, substantially. So um, I've done all kinds of experiments, you know, especially when I was writing this book, when I created this course, I did polyphasic sleep for four months, mm-hmm. um, which is basically I slept four hours a night and, uh, I would take maybe two naps during the day. Wow. Um, so there's, there's so much I can talk about this, but is there something that you're, you're curious in particular? About? Well, you know, if we're going to talk about sleep, this is actually <laughs> a great topic because, you know, I, I read some, I read a study recently that if you get less than seven hours of sleep, you're like something like 30% more likely to suffer from stroke later in life. So I'm actually on a mission now to get, or get into a car accident. Oh, really? So you're more, you're more likely to get into a car accident. I think it's like the same as, um, drinking like a few like uh, getting yourself drunk, like drinking like three beers or something. Because that's that's crazy. Because not only that, like I'm I'm just and this is like some of this. I all right, whatever. I I question some of this stuff <laughs> because I perform. I feel like I perform at a high level in a lot of things. At CrossFit, I'm like in the top. 20, 30% of my gym, even though most of them are like in their early 20s, most of these guys are like young kids, you know, in business, I do really well. I just feel like in a lot of areas, I perform at a high level and I, I just pulled it up. So I have 741 recorded nights of sleep with this app I, I use. And now I use my Fitbit more, my Fitbit blaze, but I used to use this app called sleep cycle. And my average time in bed was six hours and three minutes across 740 nights. And that's not asleep. That's hitting alarm on hitting alarm off. And so I like, and after about a year of doing that, I saw some video with Arnold Schwarzenegger where he was like, you really only need six hours of sleep. He's like, I was a world champion bodybuilder and I only need, and he said that, and that kind of like encouraged me. And I was like, well, yeah, that's fine. And I do that because I would grind on the rest. I mean, it's Elon Musk style, right? If, if you, you know, if you work a hundred hours a week and your competitors only work 50 hours a week, then in six months you'll have done what will take them a year. And so I kind of lived that, but now I'm very much more health conscious and uh, just because I'm getting older and I'm, I'm, I'm in great health. I'm probably in the best shape my life but i'm concerned yeah. about the things and it's more like how do i maintain that and i'm looking to like like this i'm like oh this is something that i've been doing that might lead i might not like where it takes me what's uh, jim rohn's got a great quote beware who you become in pursuit of what you want and i'm like that's something that i might have become that i won't want you know what i mean that i won't want like in 10 20 years so i'm actually been struggling the last month it's been messing up my life trying to make sure i get seven hours of sleep every night um, so can you speak to that a little bit? Cause you even talked about the, uh, forgive me the not knowing the name, but the poly phase of sleeping, which oh, I think okay. is some, that's something Olympic athletes I heard did where they try to make more of their day and their training periods. So can you just talk about that a little bit? Like, cause that's, that's where I'm at. So it sounds like you're saying, yes, I need to get at least seven hours of sleep. Um, but can you do it in phases? Can I have an afternoon nap? Well, first of all, I think the, the number of hours you sleep is completely arbitrary. I think it doesn't really mean anything. Huh. Um, so any argument you hear of, of like you need to have eight hours of sleep, um, it's completely false. Or you need to have seven hours of sleep, it's completely false. Um, I try to shoot for six hours each night. Okay. Um, that's, that's plenty for me. But then um, I usually take a, uh, a nap after lunchtime. Okay. So there's, you can Google this. Uh, you Google the circadian rhythm for this. Uh, your circadian rhythm kind of like dictates how your your peaks and your dips in energy, and it's based on your body temperature, and it's also based on your internal body clock. So um, you know, like certain things like your uh, cortisol will spike early in the morning, mm-hmm. so you tend to have your highest alertness around 9 a.m., 10 a.m. in a, in a standard body clock. Um, you have your dip in body temperature around 3 p.m., so that's when you feel like the most sluggish. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's usually the time that I'll rest, and then. By the time like five o'clock comes around, I'm back on the rise again. I'm back to where I was at lunchtime at noon, and um, that's when you have a spike in testosterone. So that's the best time to work out. You know, like six p.m. after five p.m. Um, so, so the first thing you need to know is that you know seven hours, eight hours is completely arbitrary, um, and that's what all these like you know blogs and all these newspapers and stuff have been saying for decades. It's completely not true. Um, but I think once you know sleep is such a complex process, and that it's really about the quality of your sleep. So I'll often force myself to sleep less just so I can sleep better. And I'll even keep myself awake. Um, I'll keep myself awake on purpose so that I fall asleep much later so I can sleep better. Um, 
And the other thing I try to focus on is adenosine. So uh, well, there's a bunch of things I focus on, but uh, adenosine is one. So adenosine corresponds to the activity level of your brain cells, your body cells. So adenosine triphosphate is what gives life to cells. Adenosine breaks it down. When you drink coffee, it blocks adenosine. Right. So ATP. When, you, when you're engaged, yeah, but adenosine and ATP are two separate things, though, just to be clear. Okay. Um, so adenosine breaks down adenosine triphosphate. And um, basically, if you want to accumulate more adenosine, either you keep yourself awake longer until you finally pass out, or you engage in more focused activity. So that could be like running a marathon. It could be doing whatever the hardest piece of work that you have to do. And the more high-intensity tasks you take on during the daytime, the better you're going to sleep at night. Because when, if you're taking on like a really difficult exam, suddenly you feel exhausted afterwards. Because right. the brains, your neurons, the neurons within your brains. Uh, you're, you're, they're, they're going firing so fast, it's creating adenosine at a higher level. It's accelerating that. Um, so that's one hack that I try to focus on. You know, the more active that I am during the day, the better I'll sleep at night. So I try to take on you know, intense activities. You know, working out is another one that you can do. Um, you know, that accumulates adenosine. Uh, understanding um, light exposure is very important. So getting plenty of sunlight during the day, it releases serotonin, improves your mood, um, improves your energy, improves your sleeping habits. Uh, making sure that you're getting enough melatonin at night. So I, I eat pineapple in the evenings because it's shown that uh, pineapple boosts melatonin production by 266%. Okay. And um, that makes that usually makes me sleep uh, deeper at night. So my whole life, I mean, everything I do is is with consideration of the circadian rhythm in mind because that's my internal body clock. Right. Um, so like, for example, you know, like, I just know that, you know, humans are not machines. So that a, a, a workday like nine to five is completely arbitrary. I'm more concerned about, you know, my circadian rhythm. You know, when is when I'm at my highest alertness? That's when I want to do my best work. Um, you know, when am I at my lowest alertness? Okay, then it's time to rest. Maybe I should go for a walk in the park. Maybe I do some reading. Um, and you can Google that. You can Google circadian rhythm. Um, you know, there's some other terms that I can't come up with at the moment. Uh, I think one is in, entrainment. Yeah, and it's, it's brain entrainment. Yep. Yeah, it's all about chronobiology, and um, I don't want to type here because it's going to make too much noise, but um, yeah, and I think once you understand that, I mean, you can understand, like, you don't have to struggle anymore, you know, if you feel like you're not, you don't feel like doing something, just take some time off and come back when you're in the zone, you know, come back when you're in a flow state. Say that again? Take some time Uh, off? Yeah, so I I, I, guess what I'm getting at, my conclusion is that you, you shouldn't have to feel like you're struggling when you work. You know, it should feel effortless. You do your best work when it feels effortless. You know, mm. when a pianist loves their what they're doing so much that they play the best symphony in the world. When um, a runner loves to run so much that they break a new record. Um, you know, if your work feels like a struggle, you're doing something wrong. And a big part of that is understanding your own biorhythms, understanding your own body clock and your circadian mm. rhythm. Because there's some times when you, you can't get me up to do anything, and I'll just I'll just sleep at home. I'll watch a movie. It could be like the middle of a day on a Tuesday or something. And it's like, well, whatever, you know, I'll come back later when I'm on the rise, my rhythm's on the rise, and I'll crush through a, a bunch of things. Because there was a study that, um, oh, God, I can't reference it. But, but basically, when you're in the zone, when you're in this flow state, um, you can not only do, like, complex tasks better, but even simple tasks, you can do them in much less time. So even, like, brushing your teeth or putting your clothes on, even these things are easier to do when you're in a, a high state of alertness. Right, 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 right. And so being true to yourself and being honest with yourself and how you feel. Yeah, and also understanding, you know, your own internal clock, understanding your processes. Um, you know, I'd recommend my book, uh, Hack Sleep, okay. as kind of a, a good primer. Um, but if, if you want, I mean, if you want other, other stuff to study for this, um, uh, God, there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, you can look up chronobiology, look up entrainment. Um, one one uh, metaphor I like is aerobic. Uh, one second, let me pull it up. Right. So we were talking about willpower earlier, and aerobic and was, um, I think he set a record for the, the race across America. So the race across America is basically like a 3,000-mile nonstop bike race from one end of the United States to the other. Um, and this guy, aerobic, like, I think he said the record for the most times he won this competition. And I think he was sleeping like 90 minutes a day or something like that. And wow. dealing with this crazy heat, he was consuming 10,000 calories a day. 
Um, yeah, so it, it, it's just like I, I found this really fascinating story. Like, there's some yeah. articles about him and how he was able to perform at this level for so long for like 10 days uh, on 90 minutes of sleep a night. And yeah, and then you understand like how these, this performance works. I think you can apply it when you can apply it to your own business and you know your own work, it becomes really fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. A ton of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> Hack Sleep is the book. It's available on Amazon and probably any online any online retailer, I imagine, any of the, the usual suspects. Is that correct? Yeah, you can find it on Amazon. It's probably the best place to find it. Okay. And um, I also have a Sleep Hacking Masterclass. It's on Udemy. Oh, okay. Got it. Oh, perfect. No way. I might so check that out myself. video format. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bam. Okay. And Udemy just discounted that uh, that course by a lot, so okay. it, it used to be like one ninety nine, but then Udemy came along and uh, put their price restrictions on everything. So got it, got it. Got I think it, it's, got I think it's only forty nine now, but um, if you like, I can uh, I can give you a discount co- uh, code for that too. Sure, yeah, pass it on. Do you have one now, or you want me to post it in the show notes later? Um, yeah, I'll make one for your listeners, and um, we can perfect uh, get a discount. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I'll put that in the members area. Danny, thank you so much for your time today. I think this has been a real value-packed call. I think we talked about life things. We talked about business things. We talked about focusing on first things first. We talked about beginning with the end in mind. We talked about scaling your business and scaling what works and where to focus that attention. Talked about health and lifestyle and some biohacks and helping yourself improve your sleep. Talked about you know being really content in life and not trying to get caught up in other people's nonsense or keeping up with the Joneses. I think there was a ton of stuff. And if anyone listened to this call without a pen and paper to take notes, they may want to give it a re-listen. Also mentioned your book, Hack Sleep, which is available on Amazon, plus some other interviews we did with other guests if people want to follow up with this topic. Danny, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Is there anywhere people can go if they want to reach out, get in touch, get on your list? I mean, we mentioned getting your book, but is there, if they want to get involved, they want to follow you, where are the best places to, to connect? Yeah, sure. So you can go to openworldmag.com. Uh, that's my blog. I have my podcast on there. You can also sign up for the emailing list. And if you sign up for the mailing list, you will get uh, an issue of our magazine for free. Awesome. Uh, Open World Magazine. And we have a lot of um, life hacks, a lot of inspiring stories, um, just things that challenge you and, and focus, uh, help you to focus on higher goals. And we did talk about a lot of stuff. I apologize for rambling, but it's almost 10 30 at night here so <laughs> yeah no no that's good we, it was good i think like i said i think it was a value-packed call so yeah um, it was yeah. um i, I just I, i've been a little bit uh i admit i've been a little bit tired but i i, I hope that um there was a lot of value and um if i get a little too wordy or, or ramble a little bit too much at the end there i apologize <laughs> you're good man you're good so all right so anyone that's paying attention if they like to get involved it was open is openworldmag.com openworldmag.com and if you want to get my audiobook for free um, you can go to buyyourownisland.com forward slash audio dash book there we go and uh, I have the whole book on there as an, as an audiobook format uh, for free so. that's awesome that's awesome well thank you again so much for your time and it's been an honor and a pleasure thanks Daryl good chat with you you've reached the end of our interview Now first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. 
That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.